Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. On today's show, we talk about an ancient synagogue. An ancient syn... You're listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 231. On today's show, we talk about an ancient synagogue, Civil War soldiers, and a Greek cult center. Let's dig a little deeper into those pronunciations. (laughs) You're not leaving that in. (laughs) Okay, welcome to the Archaeology Show, and this is episode 231, and I just want to say, last time I said we were going to have video, but it turns out our hosting service that does the video for us and does the post-processing so I don't have to, Mm -hmm. doesn't like it when you pause between segments, apparently, and Rachel's was off by so much that... Uh, it says hers was off by two seconds and I would have had to download the tracks individually, Mm -hmm. do all the processing myself. And I just literally didn't have time for that. So yeah, no video on that one, but we're recording video again now and hopefully we've learned our lesson and that won't happen again. So yeah, we're still dealing with like kind of shaky internet a little bit, which might be playing a role here. So hopefully it'll be okay, but we'll see. But we've got a plan that should fix it so Mm -hmm. to speak so otherwise the audio is always there and always solid so thanks for listening on that yes for sure yes and thanks for new subscribers too i I like to think they're due to this show because we have so many good listeners but uh, (laughs) we've had a few of them this week and uh, we always appreciate it yeah arc pod not Arcpod not? Arcpod yes. Arcpod no. Arcpod net. Arcpod please? Arcpod maybe? <laughs> I think I see a new t-shirt. Arcpodnet.com slash members if you want to join everybody else and participate in the conversation on the back end and get access to all of our bonus stuff like the Underwater Archaeology Cultural Share event we had last week. Yeah, yeah. so cool. So, I love underwater yeah. archaeology. Probably because... Like, I always want to be an underwater person. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I'm kind of not an underwater person because, like, I can do a little bit of snorkeling, but, like, that's about... It's Are you saying that? It. Are you just saying that because we watched the uh, documentary on mermaids on Netflix the oh, series? Right, we totally watched that. <laughs> I cannot do that. I would not want to do that. It looks kind of terrible, but also like kind of awesome at the same time. And yeah, yeah no. So I like underwater things from a video and photo standpoint. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we are podcasting from the Northern Pacific Northwest, not too Mm -hmm. far from Canada, but uh, Canada's sending its love via smoke and, Mm -hmm. you know, poor air quality (laughs) down this way. So thanks for that. And also so sorry about all the fires. I know it's freaking horrific up there and everywhere, really. Like we were going to go to North Cascades National Park, Mm -hmm. but the park has a big fire going on and you can drive through, but you can't really do any hiking or anything. So I wouldn't say it's kind of a bust up here. We're going to try to go do some other stuff while we're here, but definitely the fires are putting a bit of a damper on our northern Washington visit. But at least we're not on fire. So 
hopefully everybody True. out there is well doing well and surviving it all. <laughs> yeah, a year ago we were up in VC and mm-hmm. we went to we went through Kelowna and stayed there a couple days. We did. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was really nice. And yeah. Kelowna's got some big fires like they do right at the edge of town. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's such a gorgeous country up there. So it's just so right. sad to hear that all the fires are happening. But that is global warming. That is the world we live in, right? So indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got some news stories for you, and the first one is about a synagogue unearthed in Russia and it might be one of the oldest ones outside of Israel that's ever been found although Mm -hmm. there's some people of course that don't agree with that not everybody is convinced and that is the title of the article is that last sentence but not everybody is convinced and there's some (laughs) good reasons to potentially not be convinced so basically archaeologists in southern Russia say that they had discovered the ruins of a 2000 year old synagogue yep Synagogue. Synagogue. Synagogue, <laughs> synagogue is what they played at the synagogue. synagogue. Yeah. <laughs> they say that analysis of marble tablets and inscriptions indicate that the synagogue dates to the first century BCE. Yeah. So that would be quite old. It would predate the second temple of Jerusalem by over 100 years. And that's the one that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE, which I think we talked about in an episode not too long ago. Mm. We'll try to find the link to it and, and link link there but but yeah that is something that is sort of like the hallmark of of early judaism is those temples that were in jerusalem and this one would predate that by quite a lot yeah and it seems like i mean i didn't even know that there were synagogues and people practicing this faith that long ago outside of israel yeah right i had no idea and that's what makes us so unique if it's true, if it's accurate, if everything they're reporting yeah. is real. And that's why there's some pushback and some criticism because there hasn't been a peer reviewed paper yet. So they mm-hmm. haven't, other researchers have not seen the evidence yet. All they're doing is saying that they have some inscriptions, yeah. which is fine. And that could be true, but it hasn't been peer reviewed yet. And because it's so unusual, I think that the like standard or bar for evidence might be maybe a little bit higher than you would think because. They have to prove that this thing that wouldn't you wouldn't normally mm-hmm. see was happening here. So I, I think that's where the sort of skepticism is coming in. So, you know, so far with this preliminary release anyway. Yeah. And take a look at the article in the show notes because there's actually some really good pictures of the excavation. There yeah, there's yeah. Some, it's really well done. And actually, I, it's shock, shock. I don't know what Russia really looks like, to be honest with you, but I wouldn't <laughs> imagine this. I don't know why, but <laughs> and you can't really see much of Russia, but well, yeah, this is like along the Black Sea, I think mm-hmm. it's so it's located a few miles east of Crimea on the Taman Peninsula in southern Russia. So it's almost a little bit more like Middle Eastern in feel. Yeah. It's kind of deserty almost. And you can see that in the photos, too. It, it sort of looks like what you would think in that kind of arid environment. Mm-hmm. And the excavation that the synagogue was found at is the Greek colony of Phanagoria. And Phanagoria was established by Greek refugees from the city of Teos, which was on the west coast of modern day Turkey. But it was sacked by the Persians in 540 BCE. And those guys fled and set up this new colony um, near Crimea. So that's why the people were there and when they got there. I mean, I know that's southern southern Russia, but... Which is not that far from Turkey. No. But, man, what a distance to go to just escape that... uh, Just to get away. (laughs) Yeah, just to get away and go somewhere else. Yeah, Yeah. it makes you wonder why they went that direction. What Were they forced to? Mm -hmm. Was it... A choice specifically because they knew something about the area. Who knows? It's the, I don't think they have answers to that kind of question yet. So, Yeah, the excavation was conducted um, 
sorry, excavations have been conducted in the town since 2004. And... Interesting thing, how this is yeah. being funded. Yes, is, <laughs> it's very interesting and yeah. must be talked about here for right. sure. <laughs> it's being funded by the Velno Dello Foundation, uh-huh. um, and that's a Russian charity, and it's funding all of the Fanagoria excavations. And yeah. that foundation was founded by Russian billionaire industrialist Oleg Deripaska. Yes. And he is currently accused of violating U.S. sanctions and, you know, yeah. not uh, not playing well with others. So, yeah, I actually looked him up. He, he refutes these allegations, obviously, because they always do. Yeah. But what he's accused of is basically like smuggling or helping to smuggle his girlfriend, his pregnant girlfriend into the U.S. so that she could give birth in the U.S., Right. And I guess get all of the the baby would get all of the protections and such of being a U.S. citizen in that case. So, He's not the only one to have done something like that. But no, but billionaire, you can probably get away with it. Yeah. And I, it sounds like this was, well, I don't know when this happened. I didn't really look that deeply into it. But with the the war in Ukraine and everything, the U.S. is just not putting up with that kind of behavior from Russians anymore. So that's why the he's been accused of the violating the sanctions or whatever. So right. anyway, yeah. So, so great guy. But I guess he also <laughs> cares about the archaeological history of Russia. Yeah. Or maybe he likes the notoriety that comes along with it. Or maybe not notoriety, but the hey, fame, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you can be an oligarch and an industrialist and, and still like history. And also care about history. Yeah. For sure. You can. And I guess like when you're trying to get work done. The thing that I worry about is what kind of pressures are being put on the people doing the excavations to have certain you know, mm, come up with certain outcomes. outcomes. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe they're saying that the site is as old as it is because they're getting pressure to say it. Right. I don't know. And maybe that's where the skepticism is coming from Jewish archaeologists or archaeologists mm-hmm. that specialize in Jewish history. So I don't know. There's well, there's a lot of political stuff here that could be happening in the background. But the thing is that's interesting about that is it's not disputed that it's a synagogue. It's got no, the right. It it's got it's, the right shape. Yeah. It's got all the yep. the normal stuff you would find. There's a menorah, uh-huh. in, you know, carved into marble. I yeah. mean, this is clearly it's Jewish. Clearly a synagogue. Clearly yeah. a synagogue. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the date that they're disputing. Yeah, and they're not sure that it it dates back to that old. But yeah. you know, I mean, it's still pretty old though. It is. <laughs> so. It definitely is because there's at least one reference to this synagogue specifically at a different city or a different site entirely that is mm-hmm. also on the Black Sea, and that that reference dates to 41 C. So it's sort of like an independent corroboration sort of, of it being the synagogue and and what it is, you know? So I guess there's that, but at Fanagoria itself, there is another inscription that the spokesperson for the Volne Dello foundation, Ruben Banyatin, Banyat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he, Banatian, Banatian. Sure. I don't think it's Banyatian. God, so bad with pronunciations. (laughs) I don't think it's Banyatian either, but either way. Yeah. Anyway, Mr. Bunny. Um, Wow. (laughs) So they say at Fanagoria, they have found another inscription that dates to 16 CE, which is pushing it back even further, although still not as far as they're saying Mm -hmm. that it is in their release. So they have, they basically just haven't shared the actual documentation Reason. of why they're saying that this yeah. is, you know, a hundred years earlier than, than the inscriptions that we know about. So, right. yeah. Well, 
I would imagine it would be a little bit before the inscriptions because it's not like they got there and carved something in and say, we got here true, at here at this true. time. Right. It really depends on what the inscription is, too. Maybe the inscription yeah. itself alludes to some sort of antiquity. Like maybe the inscription says, I'm the fourth generation person <laughs> to live here. <laughs> That's true. You have to take the context of the inscription into account for yeah. sure. There is one note in the article and Banyetian, he says this up front too, that in the inscription that dates to 16 CE is a little bit sus. Like, Mm. like they're not totally sure about that inscription. So it's still, it makes me ask, like, why are you saying that it's, it's even a hundred years older than that then? And then I don't know. So we might be missing some of the story. All, obviously all this gets translated Mm -hmm. to English from, from Russian, you know, publications or whatever so i I do feel like we might be missing some of the details through that and also because they just haven't released everything yet but there is one guy john seligman who Mm -hmm. is an archaeologist at the israeli antiquities authority he's an expert in the archaeology of synagogues specifically and he's very skeptical (laughs) he's the one who said that it's super unusual for there to be a synagogue outside of jerusalem at this time and like he said that you can count on one hand basically how many old, old synagogues like this that predate the second temple and all that. Sure. You can count on one hand how many there are. So to find a whole brand new one, well, not brand new, but to take one and date it back even further than it had been before would just be unusual. So he's very skeptical and he just wants to see more evidence to know what they're backing up these yeah. claims with, basically. Well, and yeah. it sounds like we just have this article to tell us this, but it sounds like he's doing the right thing and not just denouncing it. He's, he's saying, not. listen... Put out an article yeah. that I can look at the evidence for yeah. and everybody else can too. And yeah. then we'll reserve judgment until then. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think it's the the caginess of the announcement without like sharing the exact like details of the inscription or even the inscription itself. Like, why aren't we sharing that? And, yeah. you know, and then there's this whole like political thing with, you know, an oligarch that is somehow funding this project where it's like well, what kind of pressure is he putting on the researchers to say what he wants them to say so that it makes it seem more important yeah. I'm making all of this up that might not be happening at all but you do kind of wonder when there's money from a Russian billionaire funding a project like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like what's happening in the background that we don't know about so yeah exactly wait for the peer-reviewed research I suppose is the answer to that question all right well we'll wait for that research well <laughs> Four Civil War soldiers waited a long time to be identified and and, and to tell us who they were in Williamsburg. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> Welcome back to episode 231 of The Archaeology Show. And as I mentioned, we're going to go over to Colonial Williamsburg, where all the fun stuff happens. <laughs> and it kind of does. I always <laughs> wish I had gone there. I never did, even though yeah. I grew up not too far from there. But right. it just, we didn't take a, a class trip or anything. It just didn't happen. Do you think regular Williamsburg is just like, <laughs> you know, we, we always are just like Colonial Williamsburg, mm-hmm. but there's also a regular Williamsburg. Yes, I, I believe there yeah. is. I wonder, but I wonder if they're <laughs> as irritated as I am with Washington and Washington State, because everybody on the East Coast says, oh, I'm going up to Washington today. They mean Washington D.C. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm from Washington, and they're like, Oh, do you live near the capital? No, I don't, because you know Seattle's quite a way, quite a ways yeah. away from there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think since I've come out west, I've started referring to Washington D.C. as just D.C. when I talk about it. Yeah, I always and say then, Washington State. Yeah. yeah, but you do have to say Washington State when you're talking to East Coasters because D.C. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, Colonial right. Williamsburg. Your your life has been so difficult. It so really I, has. I understand. Let's I don't want to talk about it. Move, yeah. Move on. So anyway, last year, some researchers found the remains of four Civil War soldiers in Colonial Williamsburg, mm-hmm. and at the time, they figured they were soldiers that fought at the Battle of Williamsburg in 1862, but they didn't know who they were or what side they fought for because that's really kind of sketchy to me. Because why why weren't they in either a some sort of uniform, and I know not everybody had uniforms, but at mm-hmm. least some sort of clothing that may have identified them as far as north-south goes, maybe even just the style or type of clothing. Yeah, they addressed that. It was just their their the items that remained, because these were skeletal remains at this sure. point. So what remained was uh, just not identifying. Everything was it gone. Was, yeah. So I, I think there probably hmm. were bits of things, but it wasn't enough to tell you. you. Buttons? Nothing? It doesn't sound like... Well, no, that's not true. There were buttons, but they were just too generic to say uh, whether yeah. or not they were Confederate or Union. Right. You know, only the, the generals and stuff got the big fancy buttons that were identifiable <laughs> as, you know, one side or the other. These are probably just like foot, sol- foot soldiers, right? Like yeah. they, they showed up and, you know, died for their efforts on that day. So they didn't have a special uniform. Well... One of the good things churches have done is keep meticulous <laughs> records. Yep. So, and the ledger of a local undertaker yep. and several other historical sources that they were able to find identified the soldiers as Confederate. Yes. So. Yeah, and that was in part because the church records that they had showed that the church was used as a Confederate hospital after the battle. Yeah. So I think that was one big clue that was like, well, they're buried near or. Mm-hmm. in association with this church so probably they're also confederate but then they were able to find some other records as well and that's where they sort of came up with that conclusion and the remains included two complete skeletons and three amputated limbs so that's like only parts say. of one of the guys well i i was if you only, to... if you only have two complete skeletons <laughs> you can't say four people were buried there i well, it's. I think they were using a MNI, which is minimum number of individuals. Sure. Probably when you have a burial, that's how you always determine how many people were there. And to determine MNI, you pick out a distinctive piece of bone, and then you count how many of those you have. So it's a little different when you have full skeletons too. So they probably are like, okay, we got two full skeletons over here. That's person one, person two, and then we have three limbs, and. Either they use MNI to say that there was at least two individuals here because that's the best they can do, right? Right. And that's how they come up with the four. Or 
maybe they were able to do some like genetic testing and they it was like a double amputee situation, right? Like maybe somebody lost two limbs and they know that okay. it's, you know, but that's, that's guessing. But the point is, maybe they just threw the limbs into the grave yeah. and the person walked away. Oh, for sure. That's entirely possible. Yeah. But all you have is the limb, so you don't know. Sure. Well, so. we got the church records that say, nope, they were buried here somewhere. They at least died here. No, they don't. They don't know that for sure. They oh. these were just amputated limbs. So, but with the church records that identified them, I thought that said it that identified. They were, I think that was more for the two full skeletons. Uh, they can't really say much yeah. more about the limbs themselves. Sure, unless they can tell who the limb was removed from based on the the hospital records. But right. I think that they are focused more on the two complete individuals. Well, yeah. One of the things they could tell from these remains was mm-hmm. that one of the skeletons was found with a bullet in his spine, so he wasn't doing super And great. they're not saying for sure that he died from that, but it sounds like it was yeah. probably a fresh wound. And it, I mean, I would guess it probably is what killed him. I mean, so. full paralysis. You'd probably want to die anyway at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another one had a bullet lodged in their hip, but that one was partially healed with bone growing over it. So yeah. it could have been an older injury, either from, you know, from the Civil War or even it an could have older been, conflict. Yeah, it could have yeah. even been before that. They they couldn't really say how old that previous wound was. Yeah. So, and one of the other limbs would have been shot in the foot. Yeah, one of the so. one of the amputated limbs yeah. was shot in the foot. So obviously that would be the reason why they removed the limb. And then the question is, did he survive? Right. How long did he survive? Like like when you think about an amputated limb once you separate it from the body, like that person could have gone on and lived for another year mm-hmm. but then died from complications of the amputation, you know, 400 miles away or something like right. that. And you would never be able to connect those those two back together. So it is kind of interesting when you think about it when you're dealing with amputated limbs like how do you how do you quantify that because the person didn't necessarily die yeah yeah it's that's crazy and you know the other crazy thing is aside from a toothbrush a snuff bottle copper buttons which apparently are unidentifiable uh, a belt buckle one of them had uh, two gold $1 coins dating mm-hmm. to 1855. Yeah, and, and it's a there's a great picture of them in the article, yeah. too. So it's really cool. Well, and that's another interesting thing to me, too. Currency is always so, you know, localized. And I know mm-hmm. in 1855, we were still one country. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shocked that there's no sort of identifying marks on the currency either that would have said this is Confederate. You know, or not, they weren't Confederate at the time, but that said maybe this is minted somewhere that yeah. would identify them as getting it there. But if you think about it, like just because the coin came from somewhere in either the North or the South doesn't mean that the soldier you find it with is from those places. Well, sure. They could have yeah. picked it up from a body on the battlefield. Yeah. You know, the one thing with this though is, and I thought this was super interesting, is that these coins were likely sewn into some kind of secret hidden compartment mm-hmm. and it was meant to be like an emergency money kind of thing sure. because if it was just in their pocket or whatever then or in a bag it, it would have it. been taken yeah it would have been stolen for sure so yeah. so probably it belonged to the person and they sewed it in there specifically probably before they even left home to go yeah. to the war so but still that's not necessarily true they could have it could have been a, uh, they found it on the battlefield and sewed it into their pants so that it wouldn't get stolen you know like there's just yeah. so many reasons why they might have it so you can't draw conclusions on the coins themselves right I think it would probably be best to like do DNA analysis or something on the bones, right? To like really get a handle on on who these are, these people are. But I don't think that they've done well, anything like that yet. Assuming their descendants have DNA in some sort of database. They can, yeah, 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 true. But like the genetic or the genealogy stuff that yeah. is going on with crime today could probably be done on past burials as well. Sure. 
if they have descendants, like you said. So yeah, yeah and if it's not degraded enough and contaminated, yeah, there's enough, there's so yeah. many like factors there, and and so. if you have the budget for it, it's not cheap. Oh yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. So I'm twenty three of me is like a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you just send that in? Send in some bone fragments. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but <laughs> they are just supposed to like spit into a cup for that. You can just like, like, like run the swab <laughs> on a on a piece of historic bone. See what happens. I don't happens. think it works that way. <laughs> twenty three of me comes back and says, "Are you one hundred and forty eight like, years old?" Um, that's yeah. not quite right. <laughs> no. So yeah. so just a little bit about the Battle of Williamsburg itself. It took place on May 5th, 1862. And it was basically during the Union campaign to capture Richmond. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of no clear winner here because they there were... never is in war. I know, right? <laughs> All these people died and like there's no clear winner. Yeah. Great. What'd you die for? But... The Confederates were basically retreating at this moment, and the Union Army, you know, started engaging the the tail end of the retreat, yeah. and so those guys held them off while the rest of the Confederates were able to fully retreat beyond Williamsburg, and yeah. so it's kind of like they say, like these guys stayed and fought and like saved the rest of the Confederate army. Yeah, they essentially, literally said it was a delaying tactic yeah. to buy time for the rest of the army. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, hey guys, you want to <laughs> just hang out here for a little bit while we all hightail it? Yeah, like you guys. Guys might die here, <laughs> but we got to get going. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, there were approximately 3,800 casualties combined on both sides. Yeah. And I did look up the specifics there. It looks like the Union lost quite a few more men, mm-hmm. but they also were a larger army at that point as well. So, like, proportionally speaking, right. it seems to have made sense. And really, it just seems like a, a pointless battle so that one yeah. army could run from another. And these guys lost their lives because. Yeah. Well, that's just what war is. It's it seems ridiculous when you look back on it. But what yeah. is it good for? <laughs> All right, absolutely nothing. Hey. <laughs> So the dig itself was conducted near the Williamsburg Powder Magazine structure, mm-hmm. and it the ground is area that has not been excavated since 1930. So I'm wondering if they think they can do more excavation and find more, you know, hospital burials potentially, because mm-hmm. there's a lot more casualties than just the four that they've got here. Well, two plus to potential others. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I wonder if they're thinking that direction. I don't know. They don't really indicate one way or another in the article. This is all about just doing the analysis. So, yeah. yeah. All right. And the last bit of this is that they do have records from these these historical records from the church and the undertaker and all that. And they're trying to like put actual names to these soldiers. So they have a short list of like 20 names and they're going to just continue trying to narrow it down from there. And okay. again, I say, can't DNA evidence come in and be <laughs> helpful here, potentially? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know. So I'd be interested to hear if they're able to actually like give names to these soldiers, even if they yeah. were Confederates. It still is really interesting to use the science and the techniques that we have today to like just give a name back to a body that you find. That's really cool. Yeah. It's like true crime, but like. Historical, historical true, true crime, crime and it's yeah. not crime either because yeah. it's war so it's like totally different yeah, it's kind of crime but <laughs> a little bit depending on how you look <laughs> at it a little bit depending yeah. on what side you're on yeah yeah, yeah so. I like true crime yeah I listen to a else. lot of true crime podcasts literally everybody else yeah, <laughs> yeah. except for me yeah Right. Yep. All right. So I listen to archaeology podcasts. <laughs> if too. you would like to participate <laughs> in the conversation on the other side of the podcast, arcpodnet.com forward slash members. So yeah, check come that on out. over and we can talk about our favorite true crime podcasts. Wow. <laughs> 
Honestly, <laughs> we could start a whole channel if somebody wanted to to talk about true crime in the historical record. We could, and then you could maybe a podcast would develop out of that. Honestly, there are there there is one. There's one for sure that I know about, and there's probably a couple others that sort of tread that line. Let's so. get them on the Archaeology Podcast Network. <laughs> right. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll find out what happens when you anger the gods. Back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, our final segment of episode 231. And... Again, now we're going to talk about what happens when you anger the gods. At least that's my interpretation here. So <laughs> this article is called Cult Center Was Destroyed 2,600 Years Ago in Greece. Now Experts Uncover Its Secrets. Mm-hmm. So, and this is from the Merced Sun Star. I don't know Merced where, but uh, the Merced Sun Star. Interesting <laughs> thing is at the very end of this article, they link actually to the Greek press release from the cult- Ministry of Culture, I think, mm-hmm. but it's in Greek, and so they used Google oh. Translate to translate the article. So, oh, that's how we... That, yeah. You can get into some trouble with that. And I went back and read the original Greek, and I, oh, I verified a lot yeah. of the stuff was that it, they said. Was it... Yes, having uh, studied Greek for a month on Duolingo, <laughs> I uh, I verified everything they said. Okay, so great. So good. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Very glad to hear that. Right. All right, well... Okay, so about 170 kilometers northwest of Athens, or about 66 miles, is the Greek city of Haliki, and mm-hmm. that's on the southwest shore of the Gulf of Corinth. And about 2,600 years ago, it was destroyed by a massive earthquake, which caused a massive tsunami that buried the whole thing in sediment and its own self. Like right? Pompeii style? Like, were there Except people there? Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm like, sure there were. Like, people yeah. just fully covered and gone. Wow. No, they're not talking about that in the okay. article, because... This wasn't volcanic ash, uh-huh. and there's a pretty decent chance that, I mean, none of the remains are intact. Oh, yeah, that right? kind of, it's not super you know? great for preservation. Also, it was an earthquake, and I don't know how long after the earthquake the tsunami happened, but this, the earthquake, it sounds like, destroyed a bunch of stuff, and mm-hmm. they probably, a lot of people got out, like, or at least got off. away. Yeah. But then again, I also don't know how how impactful the tsunami was. How far mm-hmm. inland did it go? Mm-hmm. You know, what really happened? Some tsunamis, I mean, you don't picture a wall of like 40 feet of water. A tsunami can just be a rapidly rising tide that goes 15 feet over stage. Basically a flash flood, but from probably the ocean, more epic. the Med in <laughs> yeah. this case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the Aegean Sea, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, or the Adriatic, not the Aegean. So mm. is that right? Yeah, the Aegean's on the other side, I think. Yeah, the Adriatic. Because we're going on an Adriatic cruise, which I is am- on this part. 
terrible with I know. We are going yeah. to wave to this island as we go by <laughs> yes. to Croatia from Oh, Athens. that's right. Yeah. 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 So, totally. Anyway, they've known about the city for some decades and have de- uh, excavated other portions of it. Mm-hmm. But new research in the summer of 2023, which just got over like a month and a half ago, um, okay. has uncovered the remains of what they're calling a cult center. Mm-hmm. Not, no, it's not an abbreviation for cultural. Mm-hmm. They're calling it a cult center. Which is an interesting word, and I think that's part of the Google Translate, because this really is a temple to Poseidon, and it would have been some sort of religious temple, but I'm thinking whatever the Greek word is for that, they just translate it to cult. Yeah, and like, would we call that cult, or is it more like ritual, our favorite word? It is ritual, yeah, so. Yeah. But... Anyway, previous excavations revealed an arched temple that dated to between 710 and 700 BCE. Mm-hmm. There was also a brick altar that dated to 760 to 750 BCE. Okay. For this current effort, though, two other buildings were excavated. The first dates to the 8th century BCE and had pressed soil floors, so really just like hard floors. Yeah. Um, and a 60 to 65 foot long wall. Okay. Yeah. So, interesting thing is... I'm pretty sure that's accurate because mm-hmm. I saw another article that also used Google Translate and it mm-hmm. said 60 to 65 foot high wall. And that's a very different thing. Oh, that is very different. Yeah, I'm willing to bet the wall was not 65 feet high. No. Yeah. So that would be a very, that would be a fortress right. if you had a wall that tall, right? right? Now we are so, talking like a two story building here. There are some reconstructions yeah, of it. Yeah, so I guess it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. This article has some really great, fantastic pictures of all the things mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And there's, uh, there's some really cool stuff. Yep. So. Anyway, the building seems to have been used in three different phases. You can usually see uh, either different construction techniques or you can see where one part of a wall was maybe repaired or mm-hmm. something was added onto it. That's a, it's usually pretty obvious. Or floors, too. Like, you'll have yeah. one floor on top of another and then you yeah. just go through one and you find another one below it. So, right. probably something like that. Now, the second building is temple-shaped. I'm glad that it was really easy to identify. Temple-shaped. Uh, stone foundation. <laughs> what, like, what is temple-shaped, though? Like, I mean, Greek temples probably have a shape. I guess they do, you know? probably. Like, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll have to study what temple-shaped means before yeah. we go over there. Dates to the 7th to 6th century BCE. Okay. That one was filled with light pottery. Again, Google Translate. Light in color or I light in weight? Know. or yeah. Maybe Light. a little amount of pottery. Yes. Some pottery. Some pottery. Yeah. Okay. So, and it be, says. Beware the Google translated articles, <laughs> yeah. I think is one of the warnings we're giving people here. Right. Although they still have really interesting information. So. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's some good stuff. Use here. your judgment. <laughs> yeah. And it says in the article again that it dates to the archaic era, which in that part of ancient Greece was about 800 BCE to 479 BCE, which does jive with some of the other dates. Is archaic that a word that about. they use to describe Greek I had, Prehistory? Uh, maybe. I hadn't really heard it much. I haven't Usually either, it's like Bronze Age or whatever. Okay. I mean, this was... Yeah, this I'm was, just wondering if that's know. another weirdness in translation that right, they use sure. that word possibly. Yeah. But yeah. Well, they, so they also cite in the Merced article that they got that information from the World History Encyclopedia. Oh. So maybe okay. archaic era was mentioned and then they looked up the dates. Yeah. 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 Okay. So right. I don't know. Yeah. And you know what? It's entirely possible that they looked up some other archaic era. Like, is that actually the archaic era like, did in they Greece? they do the right one? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, they also found clay figurines, a bronze snakehead, and another bronze figurine, which is presumed to be a dog. It's actually super cool it's looking. It's so cute. Yeah. I love that one. It's so adorable. I know. It's, it's definitely like, worth checking out. It's like five centimeters tall, about yeah. seven centimeters long. It's like it's, got it's a weirdly like a, skinny waist. like, like a what greyhound. A, yeah, like a greyhound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that actually could, you know, be a... 
some something artistic or it could be an indication of the types of dog they have i mean a, a greyhound be. really does look like that it's got a big chest for a greyhound yeah, yeah. but and a really long neck too which mm-hmm. doesn't seem right but it's also got like a, an elongated snout which a greyhound does have right yeah. so it's interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah and it definitely has that like typical sort of almost like blocky greek style that you yeah. see in a lot of figurines and yeah. and shapes from there so that that definitely makes sense. Yep. They also found a clay wing that belonged to a de- depiction of a mythological figure. And again, the pictures are super cool. There's clay no scale wing. on that clay wing, though. I wish there was. Yeah. And I, I wonder how big that is. I wonder if it was like part of a pot yeah. or a decoration or well, yeah. what? When they say clay wing. I mean, this mm-hmm. was clearly fired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's not pottery in that sense, but it is. Right. But it is. <laughs> like, it's. It's fired clay. Yeah. But what was the intention? Was it. Right. Was it something to be used? Was exactly. It, yeah, they're not, it's not saying, or it just didn't translate well and we don't know. Yeah. yeah. So just east of the buildings, they found artifacts dating to the 8th and 9th centuries BCE. And this apparently, to the researchers that know what's going on there, confirms the use of the space for religious purposes as early as 850 BCE. Hmm. So they mean the whole area. They're kind okay. of attributing this to the whole area. Okay. And they know pretty conclusively from some of the artifacts that were found that this temple was uh, the deity for this temple that they were, I guess, honoring or, or whatever, worshiping or... was Poseidon. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, which is funny. Given so, how... <laughs> so the area frequently flooded. Yeah. Poseidon. Uh-huh. And was ultimately destroyed by a tsunami. Poseidon. Like, mm-hmm. I, what is the irony there? Like uh, a, a sea, a seafaring, not seafaring, but but a community that lives by the sea, which a lot of Greek communities live by the sea, mm-hmm. if not most of them. I mean, there's an inland Greek societies, but let's be honest, most of them live by the sea because there's so many islands and stuff. And and they worship Poseidon and then die by tsunami. Yeah, I think it's just that if the sea is such a huge part of their culture, their daily life, they're yeah. getting their food from there everything then i guess it makes sense to to worship you well, know a sea god yeah. in that case but and, and this is the kind of thing that reinforces religion too because mm-hmm. i'm sure they had you know after every flood they had some sort of sacrifice or honoring or something like that to say please Poseidon don't yeah, do like, that don't again. Don't do it again. Yeah, unless it was like I doubt this, but unless it was like the Egyptian floods where they actually welcomed them because the Nile flooded every year and fertilized all the soil and allowed to, their crops to grow. Yeah, but they knew how to yeah. manage those floods. Exactly. Like they had a plan for that water and they Well, and I have no doubt yeah. that the Egyptian pharaohs were like I made that happen because <laughs> I honored the gods. Right. So you honor me. <laughs> yeah. Because they were gods yeah, to, yeah. to everybody else, but yeah. anyway, yeah, and then destroyed by a tsunami. Anybody that survived this or knew what was going on there, which mm-hmm. there probably was a ton, you know, there's lots of people around. They would have been like, oh, so those guys, you know, didn't worship enough or hard oh, enough. yeah. And they were destroyed they by were a tsunami. They were punished for not doing enough. I mean, if you believe in a god that lives underwater and carries a trident, and then you're destroyed by a tsunami, what is that going to do to your belief system? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's like the same thing with modern religious beliefs where... and. Not to offend anybody who is religious, but like you have somebody who dies tragically in your life. A Mm -hmm. lot of people just get more religious after that because they feel like they need to do more or be more to stop things like that from happening. Yeah. Kind of, you know, so it's sort of that, like you said, it's it's a way to prevent even worse things or more bad things from happening in the future. Well, you always hear about temples that that worship uh, the ancient Greek and Roman gods and in other places of the world, but these guys in particular. 
And not only did they just worship them, but they they literally asked them for things like people pray mm-hmm. for things to, you know, to the yeah. current God. And it's interesting to me how I wonder if people back then did the same thing that people now do. Because referring to your example, somebody who is like, let's say, you know, has some sort of debilitating disease. Well, their family is likely going to pray over them and say, you know, please save this person and, mm-hmm. and do this and this and this. But then when they die, inevitably, they're like, oh, it's all part of the plan. Yeah. And they don't go back and say, well, I guess I didn't well, pray hard enough. It's, but I wonder if these guys were like, the gods have a plan or there's just like, I got to do better. You got to do better. Yeah. That there's kind of like two directions to go with that kind of. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I don't do we know like how the Greek Greek people worshipped or prayed to their gods? I don't know if we really oh. have a great I, idea about I'm that. I'm willing to bet we? somebody knows because they were still worshiping, the Greeks and Romans were still worshiping their gods yeah. well into Christianity. Yeah, Because Christianity true. did just come through and, I mean, the Romans specifically killed Jesus Christ. So, yeah. you know. And we have all the like written documentation from that time period too. Yeah. So. There's a lot of history written there. Mm-hmm. So, somebody probably knows. Yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, there were artifacts depicting Poseidon and associated with those artifacts were others, including bronze figurines, clay chariot wheels, bronze buckles and pins, iron weapons and a piece of golden necklace, which is pretty cool. That is a really piece of rare, a rare piece of gold that they found, uh, according to this, according to what they said in this area that Mm -hmm. you just don't find that kind of stuff. Apparently, evidence of a second deity was also found, but Mm -hmm. not much was mentioned about that. So maybe... I don't know. Maybe some stuff was just laying around. Somebody brought it in or was there actual worship? There's only one temple. Yeah. So I don't know what was going on there. There could have been like a secondary, yeah. you know, God that you would also. Right. There's always somebody, right? There's always yeah. some somebody else you need to do something for in yeah. order to get your life in order when you live in that kind of a society. So, yeah. Yeah, and they mentioned, too, that the fact that they just kept rebuilding in this area and continued to use the spaces, even though it flooded a lot, mm-hmm. just indicated that they had some sort of cultural or or familial connection or something to the area that didn't that made them not want to leave, right? They're just mm-hmm. like, well, that sucks. Let's just rebuild and move on. Or they just, you know, Poseidon would let them go. <laughs> Maybe he just literally said, no, you're not going anywhere. I wonder if, if the area was... If the risk was worth it, like was mm-hmm. the area so good for farming or so good for whatever that they were doing to survive? Was it just so good yeah. that the risk was worth it? Well, or did they feel like they had to keep trying because of the whole Poseidon connection? <laughs> I know why they did it. Why? There were evidence of grapes found. Oh, grape skins specifically mm-hmm. pointing to the importance of wine used mm-hmm. during rituals. And they're specifically pointing the wine to the rituals because it was found in the temple area. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking somebody just had a really good wine cellar. They had all their vineyards, mm-hmm. and they just didn't want to leave that stuff, yeah. right? So, Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, that's really interesting. I'm hoping to really see some cool stuff like that when we go to Greece. It's going to be interesting, because that kind of stuff's, like, everywhere. Yeah. Just to be somewhere that has, you know, 2,600 years of a built environment mm-hmm. and you know, not to begrudge anything Native American in this country. We have history of Native Americans going back ten to fifteen thousand years where we're sitting right now. Yeah. But the problem is it's all pieces because they didn't live until much later. They didn't live in structures that we can find evidence of. Yeah. Now up here in the Pacific Northwest, there's longhouses, there's pit houses, there's all kinds of stuff, and we have evidence of those and can excavate those going back several hundred years. But it's wood. Yeah. In a wet de- environment. It just degrades away. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't last. And and to be able to see foundations and see walls just adds that 
that much more realism to it and allows mm-hmm. you to put yourself in that environment. Yeah. And it's really, it's really cool seeing stuff that that's that old and still, I mean, for the most part, relatively intact for what it is. Yeah. I mean, I know that all ancient civilizations have cool and interesting things about yeah. them. They all do. But when you can visually see something, yeah. it's just really exciting. We experience that in the southwest of the United States, too, where you can see the pueblos and stuff that are left behind in yeah. various areas. Yeah. Like, That's what those I'm are about. actual physical structures in the mountains in the Midwestern area. Yeah. There, there's just when you have that physical thing that you can walk on or look at, it's just you feel it's a much more like tangible connection to the people of the past. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm excited about with Athens because we're going to spend a, a week there just having time to explore like the Acropolis and everything and I'm glad all of the structures there. So I'm glad yeah. you brought up the Southwest because I don't know why I forgot about it, but yeah, we were talking about Chaco Canyon on the last episode of the Architect podcast. Mm-hmm. Actually, an upcoming episode as you're listening to this one. If okay. you're listening to it in real time, it comes out the Thursday after this one does. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about an article that was referencing some work done in Chaco Canyon, and we were just talking about it. And, you know, you and I have walked around Pueblo Bonito and other Pueblos mm-hmm. and, and little little villages around Chaco Canyon. Yeah. It's a national, what do they call it? National Cultural Historic Park or something like that. Yeah. Those date back to the, you know, 9 to 1200 AD, mm-hmm. which is... 1200 years ago, yeah. you know, give or take a thousand years ago to 1200 years ago. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of stuff that we have in this, um, in this continent, yeah. which is really cool. It's so, really cool stuff. It's, yeah. it's so neat. And it's, like I said, it's, there's something cool and interesting about everything. You yeah. just have to look a little harder for some, some places, but sometimes you have great. to use a little more imagination. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always like to sit whenever we have a, we'd find an archeological site, even if it's like a small one. Um, I always like to just imagine, you know, this place probably looked much the same when these artifacts were dropped, mm-hmm. um, unless it's a long time ago and the environment was a little different. But the topography was mostly the same. Not yeah. that hasn't changed in 10,000 years. Yep. And it was just cool to sit and imagine what it would have been like, you know, mm-hmm. just sitting there. Because we're always sitting out there and we're going, OK, so we're like two hours from the hotel or an hour and a half from the <laughs> hotel. We got to walk back to the truck. But like at the end of this day out here in the desert, I've got like an ice latte waiting for me. Uh, <laughs> hashtag PSL, and which just came You're out. So basic. <laughs> I know. And that's, but I've got one of those waiting for me. I've got some air conditioning. I might have a pizza. But yeah. like you're sitting out there and you're flint napping, or you've just killed something, or you're trying to kill something, or you're just trying to survive and get somewhere. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just camp right there if you want. Yeah. You know. I mean, they had a plan. They had a place they were going, but. You know, whatever looks good. And to do that every single day of your life is just, I don't know, it's crazy. It's much simpler, but also like way harder too, I think. So, yeah. You know, we're we're watching through The Walking Dead. Yeah. We never watched it. No, we didn't. We're one of the few that missed it. (laughs) And I'm just like, I have no sympathy for these people that are camping out in the trees in the forest because (laughs) most people are dead. And there's so many buildings to just go into. Thinking about prehistoric people, they know buildings they could go to. Yeah. Maybe a cave here and there, there but depending like on a, where you're at. You know, yeah, yeah. Like a rock shelter that they knew about from before right. that they could go to. But these Native Americans, they were masters of their environment, mm-hmm. right? They figured it out. And these crazy Georgians, mostly, <laughs> that just are just like complaining two years into a, you know, a global, uh, I guess it would be a, a pandemic, pandemic, technically, yeah. where most people are dead. And the ones that aren't are trying to kill you anyway. Uh, I mean, so many houses you could just go and board yourself up into. Yeah. And the only thing you got to worry about then is other humans. So that is the problem. That is the problem. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, that went a little sideways there at yes. the end. So. All right. So that is it for the uh, 
pop culture happy hour uh, <laughs> archaeology show. So oh anyway, we'll be back next time. And I'm not going to say what we're going to talk about, but I hope we get the research done on the one thing I want to talk about. Let's just okay. say that. Okay. Yeah. 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 We'll try. We'll try. Yep. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.